The Credible Nerds present The Fourth Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast. Where next? The two rivers. There are rumors of four Taviran there. All the right age. The old blood runs deep in those mountains. Let's hope it's prepared them for what's coming. Welcome, Wheel of Time fans, to the Fort Taviran podcast. My name is Justin, and I have my fellow Taviran with me, Mark. Hey, guys. How's it going? We're glad to be back. We'll be talking about the Wheel of Time show on Amazon Prime. The next episode is um, episode six, The Flame of Tarvalin, which, uh, what does that mean to you, Mark? What is The Flame of Tarvalin? Um... The Flame of Tarvalin is a weave in the very last book. Um, <laughs> that's what it's called. Um, yeah. Flame of Tarvalin. I mean, I it's the Amirlin seat, right. right? I mean, it is what what it's all about. And so, you know, when I saw the the title, I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna see Swan Sanche here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, you know, we we know she's the Amirlin seat. She's been quite for some time. Uh, I kind of want to touch on a couple weird things from the last episode that we just yeah. talked about. Yeah. Um, something I found kind of weird and inconsistent is Leandrin, how she's a red and it sounds like she's red for a reason, right? Like right. she was abused as a child or, or something, but I thought it was weird how she would say, but this is very much a man's world mm-hmm. because it's very much not. I mean, even in the book and even in the, in the, um, from some of the things from Swan Sanche, like this is my world. This mm-hmm. is my city. And, and you get the point that women uh, rule top roost. You get mm-hmm. that from the women's circle, Neiman's field. You get that from the, you know, from these other eye that I offshoot groups, you know, uh, that that is just not true. If you go to Camelin, who rules? Moriers and Elida, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and there will no be be no king in Andor, right? Right. And so I just thought that was so such a weird thing to say because it is very not very much not a man's world. Um, so mm-hmm. I was a little consistent. And the other thing I have to say is about Perrin. Um, I I don't know what they're going to do from here, you know, because we get a lot of talking between him, him and Wolves throughout the few, first few books, and then continually. You know, and he, you know, he starts entering like the stream state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are they going to do? Like, I don't know how they're even going to come close to approaching that. And yeah. it feels like they've kind of kicked it down the road, either because they don't know what to do or the budget isn't there for them to do what they want to do. And, uh, and both are concerning. So um, yeah. it, it'll be interesting to see what they do to flesh that out better, because there, there's going to become a time, as we all know, where uh, it's very important for that communication to happen on a level that we can understand what's going on. Yeah. If I didn't read the books, I would have no idea. I'm like, well, he just looked at his book, like this, this wolf who saved him and his eyes turned yellow. Like whoopie do. Yeah. Yeah. And the episode is called blood calls blood. And that's, I'm assuming that's Perrin, you know, his wolf wolfiness calls out to the, the wolves and, you know, they, they start to bond and connect at that point. At least that's what I took out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So how are they going to handle him talking to the wolves? Is it going to be like a, a voiceover of, and how in the, in the story, it's very like one, one or two words, very brief that he has to figure out, you know, and, and they're more images a lot of the times. Yeah, right. exactly. They're more images, you know. It was. It's not like necessarily like I'm words. Yeah, like oh, I'm running through the field. It's literally a picture of something running through this open field, but not any field. This field, you know, with mm-hmm. green pastures and horses and right. Like th- there's a lot to the communication there, and I think there's a, a good opportunity to to have some uh, some pretty neat things here, yeah. uh, or maybe they're just. You know this is way too complicated. This is this is too much. Um, uh, so let's uh, just skip it. Yeah, possible. I don't think the, I don't think they can skip it all together though. They got to do something with it. Well, yeah, but, especially when, once you get into tell you know tell tell Aaron Ryad you know and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how they're gonna do the Dream World 
it's I, I would imagine like in Lord of the Rings when Frodo puts on the ring, it's kind of like got this muted, distorted thing. I imagine it's similar to that. At least that's what I've always pictured in the last 20 years. So but we'll see. Yeah, Teleron Rioid is uh it's, it better be cool. <laughs> that's so key to the story, overall story, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, this episode is about Swan Sanche and uh, the flashback or the opening sequence that we get is a flashback to young Swan Sanche when she's living with her dad on the river as a fisherman. Um, she was helping him and uh, he's missing a hand. And so he ha- always had trouble with uh, the knots and the nets and she uses the power to help him unravel the nets. And I thought this part was... <laughs> I, I like the ex, the the end result, but the execution was a little weird. Like they're they're away from their village, no one's around them. They're not. They're in the middle of the river. She uses the power. We see the weaves, and no one else is supposed to see the weaves, right? Mm-hmm. And like we see these little knots just slowly start to unravel, just barely you can barely notice it. And her dad's like, "Oh, don't do that. Someone will see you." And she's like, "No, we're far away." They come back from their fishing trip, and their house is burned down because someone saw it. Someone saw her channel. It's like, I barely saw her channel. I knew it was coming. So how can someone a hundred yards away see it? I, don't know, I just thought it was odd. But uh, they come back, the house is burned down and the dragon's fang is scrawled on like a door that's still standing. So um, her dad's like, oh, we got to send you off to the tower. Got to train with the Aes Sedai. And she's sad. I don't think she ever sees him again. That's the insinuation anyway. So that I think she was like 10, 12 maybe. And, you know, that'd be a hard thing for a, a little kid to do, to just leave and go off and train with all these cutthroat, ruthless women, as, as I said, I, you know, so that was pro- probably a pretty hard thing to do for her. That, that's probably where her strength, she seemed pretty strong before, pretty confident before anyway. So, you know, that experience probably just uh, built her up even more. And one thing I did notice is in the background as she's leaving, Behind her father, we do see the stone of tear in the background. At least I'm assuming because it's this big building up, you know, in the background. So, uh, and if they're going to paint to show something like that, it's got to be important. So, what's the most important thing in tear? The stone of tear. So, that's my assumption. Yeah. I'll have to re look into this. So, the, the implication is, is that she's a wilder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think she was a wilder because being a wilder is pretty like faux pas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're part of us, but you're one of them. Right. You know, and you're elected to be the uh, Amirland seat by popular vote. And I don't, you know, it was so faux pas that I don't think a wilder would have ever been. Uh, in Maryland seat. So I, and I need to look to see if she was really a wilder, but I don't remember her being a wilder. So that's one thing. That's she wasn't. Me it out. Yeah. So it's inconsistent from the book, right? Because she would have been trained to open up and la la la, as opposed to she learned to channel and then survived it. Um, because it does talk about wilders kind of go through that time where they learn to channel and most of them die. Because they don't just do it wrong. I don't know why they die. They get sick and die or they channel too much or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, so that that was an inconsistent part. That was the first thing I thought when I saw that. I'm like, wait, was she a wilder? And so, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, kind of like you said, the end result was cool. You know, we knew what they were getting at, but the execution was, wasn't there. Like, it's almost like we need to move the story along. Let's throw something together. It's all, it almost feels lazy. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, like I've said, these small details matter. They, they slowly build up or the, the small matters, uh, small details of that matter slowly build up and become this strength or they consistently don't show these small details and they become a weakness. And I think that's kind of what, at least that's what I'm seeing. It's, it's a, uh, it's a good show, but it's not great because of these small details. So then we cut to the White Tower, modern day. Um, we see Leon for the first time, the keeper, 
keeper of the is it the the seals keeper of the seals or the watcher of the i can't remember that alternate title but she's the the keeper um the amarillo seats uh assistant basically and so she announces that the amarillo seat comes swan chanche walks in the room all the sitters are there from the different aja Moraine, Leandrin, Alana, and the other Aes Sedai that just returned are all there. They're basically being called to judgment and to explain themselves on what happened with Loghain. They bring in Loghain. He's chained up. Um, she, Swan, Sanche tells, hey, why is he in chains? He's, he's gentle. He can't hurt us. Show him some, some compassion. So they unchain him. She asks him, you know, do you know why you're here? You know, what's, what's going on? And he tries to goad Swan Sanche. He calls her out. So you guys are, all the Aes Sedai is, are weak. The further you get away from the tower, your influence is waning. You're weak. Um, I was able to raise a whole army that would that was willing to come and attack Tarvalin due to your weakness, your perceived weakness. You guys are weak. But uh, she doesn't fall for it. Swan doesn't fall for it. She rebukes him and tells him they're not going to kill him despite what he says but they're going to use him as an, an example for other false dragons they're going to keep him alive and study him how he responds to being gentled i think this is the first time they have someone in their custody where they've been gentled and they can you know observe him and find out what happens and but see they to take him away and he begs for them to kill him he, he's wanting death at this point mm-hmm. yeah that was a pretty cool scene um again you know it's not i don't even think we actually see this happen no in the this book, is, right yeah. this this is more it should have been the queen of andor right that confronts him you know it's the only time we really see him on the knees i assume something like this did happen in the book we just never read about it um so yeah they replaced a lot of the Cayman scenes for you know and, and threw it in the white tower which kind of created some continuity issues but it is what it is mm-hmm. um but, you know, kind of interesting to hear him screaming at the end, you know, like, you know, just kill me, just kill yeah. me, you know, because, um, you know, you kind of get the sense of what, what he's lost and that the, tr- the true punishment was, well, you're going to live out your life then. Yeah. And, yeah. and so there, there you go. So uh, pretty neat scene. I, I liked it. Yeah. And plus we know, at least in the book, he, he has the redemption arc, which is awesome. So um yeah so then she addresses one addresses moraine and leandrin and alana the others are excused um so they're there with all the sitters in the hall to be judged um leandrin she's held responsible because she's the one that was in charge of the whole thing after uh karini was killed so she's being held responsible and she dresses her down you know say hey you you've you forgot your training you know you know you're supposed to bring Loghain in uh, a male channeler in to be judged here and have a trial at the white tower. And Leandre, Leandre and she kind of deflects. She starts to throw Moraine under the bus. You know, it's like, Hey, well, what about Moraine? She has this wilder 90. There's the most powerful. I said, I are powerful channeler in a thousand years. <laughs> she starts, you know, trying to get Moraine in trouble. And then she's like, well, and plus we know that you're not going to do anything because you guys used to be friends back in, back in the day. So she's, you know, trying to get her, get out of this situation, mm-hmm. which kind of well, shows that Leander's just a snake. And one thing I really liked was that these rules are not here because they're easy. Mm-hmm, yeah. These rules are here for us, you know, for, for our people for my people. And she uses that word for my people, you know, and uh, I found that kind of cool, like powerful statement. I also found it wrong because (laughs) we all know I said I had, and that is not, not servant of all. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's how, I mean, she right there is exactly what I said I should be. Right. But we all know through the books that that is not what they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was kind of cool because it was almost like, everyone was doing the dance, you know, it was a date, date is mar, right? Yeah. 
right there in the white tower. Like I've got to say these words because they're powerful and strong and you can't, you know, that, then it became like a, a battle of words. And it was, it was interesting to watch, you know, it was kind of cool to, to see. Um, but uh, um, pr pr another pretty neat scene, pretty, uh, it had some weird things in it, right? With Alana there and things like that. But I thought it was a great scene, you know, to see, see that kind of uh political dancing among the Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so she tells both Leander and Anne Moraine that, um, well, first of all, she asked Moraine, you know, what have, what have you been doing for the last two years since you last, last left the tower? And Moraine says, I, I can't tell you. And Swan's like, cannot or will not. And she doesn't say anything. So, uh, but the funny thing is, Swan knows what Marine's been doing because they were working together in this. They had the same mission. So it's an act, right? They're putting on this act to create uh, a semblance of, oh, these two are, are at odds. They couldn't possibly be working together because, you know, of this disagreement that we're seeing right in front of our eyes. So I thought that was another, like you said, political intrigue, great great uh, writing, great situation there. Uh, but she's, she'll deliver Moraine's penance all, the next day and then she excuses them. So uh, then Moraine and Lan, they go to visit Matt and Rand at the Light's Blessing is the name of the inn. I'm not sure if that's the same one from the one in Camelon, but yeah, Basil Gill is there. And they come upon Matt. Uh, they see just like we did in the story in Camelin, he's sleeping all day, doesn't want to be talked to or touched. This is a pretty cool sequence we get uh, where Moraine, they realize that he has the dagger. And she, you know, Matt tries to stab her with the dagger. So that's how she realizes that, they, that he has it. Um, and he, she uses the power to stop him and to take the dagger from him. And then she also uses the power to pull the darkness out of Matt and put it back into the dagger. Um, and that was a pretty cool, you know, uh, visual that we got to see how the dark Mashadar tried to enter Moraine and take control of her, but she was able to resist it and put it back into the dagger. Um, and then afterwards, uh, Moraine says, she's talking with Rand a little bit and she says something that I thought was interesting um, Matt or Rand tells him, tells her that Matt's had it for about a month and that, uh, well, it's, he must be pretty strong or else he would have succumbed to the darkness by now. Most people would, but she says, um, the dagger was feeding off the darkness in him just as much as he was feeding off the darkness from the dagger. So that implies that Matt has a darkness within him that's different or not part of the the Mashadar Shadar Logoth connection. Is that something you picked up on, Mark? Or what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it's kind of weird because it's a different darkness, right? But when you read about Mashadar and where it came from, it came from the people's greed and their right. selfishness and their interior stuff. So I think I would go to say like more of like, kind of like a foreshadow we know matt if matt is greedy he likes his money he likes his gold he likes you know for as much as he says he hates being a nobleman and all this stuff he is the exact epitome of a nobleman uh you know and uh and so i think that's kind of what it was talking about because mashadar is a different kind of darkness than um sighting yeah yeah what we think you know is darkness like you know the, the dark one and all that stuff you know like it's a little bit different but it leads down the same path right greed and, and all that we know is is very devastating and but it's just a different way about it you know it's like and it, be, and it starts mistrust right when you read about Shiller got these people like mistrusted everyone they walled up the walls around them so nobody could come in you know refused to come out and help I mean that's exactly what he was doing and mm -hmm. so there's a part of them that yeah. is that. And so, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense uh, for it. The, the only thing, well, there's probably two things I didn't like. One, this isn't book three. 
This is not. <laughs> yeah. This is season one. You know, we're in middle season. This is a book three activity. Well, we did see it in Camelin, right? Because she took the dagger and just she didn't heal him. She just confined it. Confined it, right. but they did remove the the influence, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it would, it would slowly make it become right. Worse. But it, you know, but she removes it, right? Right. And then in the book, you know, they remove it with with multiple Sedai using a song riel, right? So like, it, it, this is like a powerful thing, and she does it with one person, like it's nobody's business. And I didn't like that too much, just because I'm I'm a fan of the books. And now I'm gonna wonder: Are we gonna see the infamous um, duel with Matt? and uh the queen's two brothers right um and gawain and glad yeah with matt gawain and glad because in the book that ha- you know he he gets healed comes out sees them he's still like deathly ill <laughs> and that happens but what now you know what he doesn't have a motivation to ever come back to the tower for season three or book three or, or whatever now you know mm-hmm. yeah and so that's a good let's get into that a little bit what happens with matt right now so he's he ends up staying there at the inn, just recovering. He doesn't do much for the rest of the story until they're getting ready to leave to go. Um, eventually, they figure out they got to go to the eye of the world, and he ends up staying behind. Um, some speculate that it's because the actor left the show, and so they had a right. He wasn't there to film the last couple episodes or something to that to that effect. Or maybe they just decided, you know, at this point we can write them out and then bring the new guy in next season. It's the transition that makes the most sense or something. Or maybe that was part of the story from the beginning that he wouldn't go with the rest of the group that he would stay, stay behind, not necessarily in Tarvalin, but you know, in the area general area. Um, and what's he going to do now? You know what? I have no idea unless he goes back to Tarvalin. And he ends up meeting with Gawain and Galad and has that scene. But really what's like, well, Matt's, he, they could write him out of the show at this point. And, you know, as far as the arc, his character arc in the show, it would be done. So I, I just don't get what the next step is. Why didn't he go with them to um, the Borderlands? It makes no sense. Well, and then what's going to be his motivation in book two to go to Falm? Yeah. Right. The only, his motivation for going there was because he was with Matt and Matt and those guys. Right. And uh, they were chasing down Pat and Fane and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now what's his motivation? Like he's just there and he just happens to run to Falm. Yeah. I I don't understand how, you know, he's got to get there. That is a huge major point of the story. Oh yeah. And, and if, and if you're not going to make that happen, you might as well truly write him out now mm-hmm. and then shoot yourself in the foot and stop filming because <laughs> it's going to ruin everything. You know, Matt is a hundred percent, like 999 times out of a thousand, he is everyone's favorite character. And so far you've done him very terrible disservice. And now you've, you know, <laughs> you, you've done this weird writing where you're going to struggle to bring him back in with a new actor with his weird storyline and give him motivation to show up where he needs to show up so he can do what he needs to do. And everyone knows what he needs to do. That's read the book. Right. Yeah. And we'll get more into that in episode eight review because they do find the, the horn and it's, <laughs> it's all messed up at that point too. The story is, <laughs> So we'll talk more about that later, but uh, yeah. So Matt's he, and at this point he's, his story's done for this season. So, but uh, so Moraine, she, she heals Matt goes back to, she ends up meeting uh, with this, the blue sitter, Megan uh, in a bathhouse. And they're talking about what's next. She, Megan wants some Moraine to stay, to stop traveling so much, stay in Tarvalin. And uh, that's not Moraine's plan, you know. She has more stuff to accomplish that only she and Swan Sanche know about. Uh, and while they're there, she gets a message from the Yellow Sisters. Uh, so she, after the the bathhouse scene with Megan, she goes to 
meet up with Egwin and Perrin and uh, uh, the yellows are healing, healing Perrin and getting him back on track. Um, and then this is where Egwin asks Moraine straight out, you know, what about my friends from the two rivers? And Moraine says, I have people watching for their arrival. I have it on good authority that they are alive. And I don't know, that seemed kind of like a lie. You know, and for so first, so that first of all, is it a lie? Second of all, why doesn't she just say, Yeah, they're here, they're in another place? I'll I'll tell you where they're at in a minute, <laughs> you know, a little bit or whatever. I don't I don't get why she's trying to keep that a secret. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, she's a control freak. Yeah. I, think, I think you know, all the way up through was it season four or five, book four or five, yeah, uh, till her run in with someone um she's really is trying to control things then when we see her much later in the books she's a lot more mellow yeah she's more mellow she understands okay i can't control things i can't make things happen they will happen when they're ready to happen and i and i can see that now and i can be there to help facilitate when it does get there but i can't control it to happen and so right now she's in this huge control phase and i i think the whole idea was not that i don't want to tell you but i'm going to control the information to come out when and if i want it to come out period mm. and it, and that's just who she is she's a blue she grew up in a in a world like you know she's a noble she grew up in a world playing a game that information matters. Like that's True. just what she knows, right? You know, yeah. if you look at her history. As far as the lying, it's so weird because there's so many inconsistencies in the book. Like, oh, so-and-so lied here. So-and-so lied here. Um, you know, like um, I think there were some big instances uh, like with uh, Alana lying. And then someone brought up saying, no, she just told the truth for what she knew it to be. So she can. <laughs> So if she never knew that the sky was blue, she could say it was red. But once she knew it was for sure blue, then she could she had to say it was blue. She couldn't lie. She couldn't deviate from that kind of thing. Mm. Right. Um, so it's kind of a fine line. So does she have people watching for their arrival? Yeah, she sure does. That She's not <laughs> lying about that. Yeah. Um, you know, X, Y, and Z. So, I mean, there's, there's a world or, or a way to that she is not lying, even though she's not being truthful. And I think the book and, you know, like this, why, you know, the Bible kind of explains that pretty well, that there's a fine line between lying and not lying. And, you know, I think there's another fine example of this, this other Aes Sedai named Varen lying. And we, you know, who knows what that could be about. So. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> You're only watching the show. You don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. Read the books. Yeah. So Egwene and Perrin arrive safely. Well, not safely. <laughs> they arrive and they're safe now. And <laughs> Perrin's getting healed. Um, so and Egwene asks her another fine line, asks if if Rand is wait, oh asks if Perrin is the dragon due to his golden eyes. Because she tells Maureen about this and she's like, Don't tell anybody. <laughs> you know, people will use that against him. And she's, so she's like, Is he the dragon? And Moraine doesn't really answer, uh, kind of deflects it. So tells her, we'll get back with you tomorrow. Stay, stay put. Um, well, I don't even think she quite knows yet, right? No. I mean, I don't think anyone knows, even in the books. Well, oh, no, that's not true. That's not true. She had a good idea when they were running with Bella, but in the books. But I don't think mm -hmm. the general public knew, like, his friends and everyone else would have known until the green, you know, until they go um, and find the green man. Yeah. To the eye of the world. And you'll never know who the green man is, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Cause he doesn't exist in the show. <laughs> so later that day, um, Moraine's in her room. Land comes in and says, Hey, you masked the bond. And he's like, I can't protect you if I can't, you know, feel you through the bond. She's like, ah, don't worry. I'll be okay. Um, do they do that in the books? I think they do where she can mask the bond. Yeah, they do do it. And I don't know if it's ever explained how it's done, like how they do it. But I do remember like 
them talking about it, especially with Elaine and her border, right? Because oh yeah, yeah, yada yada yada. So I know <laughs> that there was masking there. I don't, I don't just remember how it was done though. Like I think that was something that the the Forsaken taught Rant. That's something they they didn't know till later, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I haven't really looked that up. Because Osmodian taught him. Yeah, but I do remember. Yeah, they learned to mask it, which is which is such a weird ability to know <laughs> how to do that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, Anyways, so they mask it, or she masks it, because she's going to hook up with her her BFF Swan. They're actually going to have a moment alone, and she uses. I'm assuming it's a Terangiral to she channels into this like frame picture or something on the wall it opens up and she's able to be transported to another place as i get the sense that it's by a river it's in a swamp there's all these frogs and bugs buzzing in the background and it's in this hut and it's just her her and moraine and they hadn't seen each other uh for two years so they were missing each other um so she goes to him they talk a little bit about what happened in the hall um swan's mad at her for pulling that stunt and they like oh let's not talk about that let's let's make out so they start kissing (laughs) it's you know like (laughs) whatever (laughs) they want to do random weird silly stuff like this then whatever here's here's my problem with that do i believe in the book that if you're going to put these girls and have them get raised for eight years six years whatever it is that things like this won't go on no i don't i'm you know like i'm not dumb enough to think that that won't go on the Aes Sedai don't let them go out they don't let them go find the warders they don't let them go find yeah. the they're I confined to the tower yeah so i mean i get it you know they're going to find attraction they're going to find love whatever you want to be the problem is is that these girls both chose blue and they blues have a mission whatever it is and a focus and that focus does not include love, right? Which is weird because we see them much later in the book. They end up getting married to, to different people. But that's much later in the book when they've both gone through some big things and et cetera, et cetera. Their missions have been mostly fulfilled. You know, like they, they've gone past, you know, the point that their being blue matters, right? right? But right now, they, they have this focus in their lives that personality and being a blue would not have time for that kind of love to exist in their lives. Maybe it would be like, Hey, I just need like little something, something. Yeah. Okay. But she can get that from land. She can get that from anybody, you know, like she's allowed out of the tower. Now Uh, she's going to be, you know, a thousand years old before she dies. Not really, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of a weird, a really weird thing to see, to throw in there, what I can only assume would be a political culture type thing. It was, you know, PC political correctness culture, but it's in there. It is what it is. It doesn't make sense to me as an avid reader with somebody that understands that things like that would happen. Um, I feel like in trying to be inclusive, you really made it weird to advance their stories later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I can agree. I think like you, the that stuff, the whole pillow friend thing. Um, yeah, they probably were relationship were relationships. In fact, there were. Um, but as far as Moraine and Swan goes, I find it out a character for Moraine in the sense that, um, like I said, I'm reading New Spring, and every time someone even brings up the mention of a relationship, like a sexual type relationship. Moraine gets embarrassed. Her face turns red. She doesn't know what to say. Like any type of sexual talk is out of her. Like she doesn't want to address that at all. So she's not a, she's not a sexual person at this point in the story. She's still a younger person in new spring. And so she didn't develop this relationship, that type of relationship with Swan because that wasn't her focus. Like you said, she's her focus at first was to become I said, I, and then after that, they were going to hunt down the dragon. And so this is, but this is 22 years later, or at least 20 years later from when they were raised to the, the shawl. 
Um, and they haven't really seen each other that much. So I don't know where this relationship would form, but like you said, it's, it's done and it is what it is. And they also insinuate that she has um, a sexual relationship with Lan. They don't outright say it or show it, but they, um, there was a scene in episode four where Lan, where Lan had drunk some alcohol and um, she's like, He's, he makes a comment. I shouldn't have done it because you always get emotional when, when I drink too much. And then they kind of look at each other like, hey, let's do it. You know, but they don't show it. So I don't know what, I don't, I don't know. It just seems inconsistent across the board, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, look, we know that sexual encounters, gratification, whatever it is, we know they're going on. Okay. But you don't need to throw it in there to force it to show that it's going on. I mean, if you want her to have a relationship, if you want these guys to have a relationship, there's plenty of relationships in the book for both these characters. And there's plenty of uh, what they are and there aren't. There's no need to insinuate things are going on with Lan and Moraine. I explained in the last episode that to, to Lan, that kind of encounter is like almost religious. You know, he's not just doing it to do it. Um, Moraine, you know, is what she is. If she were green, I, I could completely buy this and you'll understand that much later, right? But just knowing what I know about who Moraine is, any turning of the wheel, I, I just don't see it. I, I just feel like it's just thrust upon us to make us like, Oh, by the way, here's this going on too. Yeah. It, okay. Thanks. We, we, I get it. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, she's green. Then yeah, she's going to be more open to the things like that, I guess. Well, even then, if she was green, I mean, that, uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'll edit that part out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so out and afterwards, after they um, finish, after they finish their their makeout scene, um, the Moraine tells Swan that they found the dragon. She found the dragon. <laughs> she says, "I don't know which one it is. Though. It's one of the five. And I was like, "Okay, are you sure?" Uh, there's a lot of um, uncertainty still, but yeah, she's saying, "I found him. I found the dragon. Him or her." So uh, they reference the the foretelling that uh, is it Gatara. Let's see. Yeah, Gitara of her vision from when they were there with the Amarlin seats, those four, and then she died. And then how they've been searching for 20 years. So then Swan ta starts talking about her dreams of the Dark One and the Eye of the World. And I think this was created specifically for their sh for the, the show so that they'd have a reason to go to the Eye of the World. Because um, I think they figure out they need to go to the eye of the world from Elida. Does she has a foretelling when Rand is visiting um, Morgay's and Elida when he gets caught in the garden. Um, so I think that's when they first hear about it in the books is from Elida. She does a foretelling. And then Rand goes back and tells Moraine. They're like, Oh yeah, we got to go to the eye of the world to stop the dark one. But here in this, in the show, it's Swan having dreams about it. And so they didn't, the, didn't the Aielman say something about it? Oh yeah, that's right. That one of the Aiel person, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, told the Tinkers something about it as well. That they're gonna blind the eye of the world or yeah, something. Yeah. And then there was also this scenario, these two, those two situations when they were they all met up in Camelin, Loyal was there. Um, Rand came back from the palace from meeting uh, Elaine and everybody. He tells her that, and then Loyal's like, "Yeah," or some somehow that comes out with the the Aiulan telling the Tinker that too. So yeah, there was multiple references to, "Hey, we got to go to the Eye of the World." You're right, yeah. But here is just Swan having dreams, so they and then they have to take all five because they don't know which one it is that could stop them even though the, it could result in the other four getting killed as a result, but they're like, Oh, we got to do what we got to do. So, <laughs> uh, well, 
And what I thought was interesting that's different from the book is that when they said we got to go to the eye of the world, Mulrain knew where to go, yeah. right? Yeah. But in the book, she doesn't know where to go. She just knows she needs to find the green man to tell her where to go. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't know that that's one and the same, right? But um, so I always found that weird, you know, like what she just everyone just knows where the eye of the world is like, like, Oh, well, let's just toppy down over here and we'll, we'll run right to it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see why they wanted to shorten the story, but the stuff they put into the story instead, isn't that good. So I would rather have them go to the green man and the green man lead them there. So but that's uh episode eight. We'll get into that at that point. Um, so they they talk about how they they don't have enough time together and that she has to leave the next morning. Uh, so the next morning, Land and Moraine they they track down Loyal. They talk to him. And she's like, "Hey, you got to get things ready." He's like, "Okay, I'll be ready." We don't know what it is yet. Um, but then they Moraine has to go in front of the the Amarlin seat to get her penance, and she meets up with Leandrin. And on the way, and Leandrin tells her that she knows about Rand and Matt. They're from the two rivers and that she's also hiding Egwene. And she knows all this stuff that she thought was in secret. And she threatens to tell the Amarlin seat about it. She's like, oh, maybe I'll tell her. And she can know what to do. And so Moraine throws out this threat uh, to Leandrin that she knows about the man that she meets in North Harbor. And if she doesn't back off, she's going to tell her red sisters about him. And they'll, you know what they'll do to him. And so that was interesting. I don't know if that was ever defined in the books. I don't think it was. I think it's something in the in the show specifically. But what do you think the man is? Is it just a love interest? Is it a man that can channel? Or I don't know. What, uh, maybe it's a mercenary? I don't know. It's <laughs> um, a vague threat. Yeah. It, <laughs> I, I think it's a love interest of Cyber something and they're trying to show that reds hate men which is generally true but they hate men that can channel they don't necessarily hate all men they don't Mm -hmm. hate you know men just you're a man so i i hate you you know i think it comes off that way because they go around and hunt down men who can channel so it's like oh my gosh they hate men look at what they're doing they're kidnapping them and whatever it is um because some get along with men just fine Mm -hmm. i mean we read in in the books that red and was it Pavera and that guy from the Black Tower? They're like falling in love, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's not you know necessarily like that they hate men. So I I kind of yeah. thought that was and some of them have warders. Yeah, some of the reds. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of a, a silly thing to do. Um, and we we all, me and Justin know who Leandrin is we know what she stands for and that was just a silly throw up it really was right it was it was a way to to make the conversation end because never in a day's world would that ever happen in Leandrin's life right yeah it's interesting uh I kind of think that Leandrin is going to be the Elida of the of this story I think maybe she shows oh. Elida shows up at some point, but she's just kind of a background character, and Leandrin's the main, like kind of that role in the story. That makes sense. Yeah. Which I don't know. I liked. I love to hate Elida, so I don't. I want to see her fully fleshed out. You know, her spoiled bratness when she becomes when she moves up and up in the world later. Um. I don't know. I just, I always, it was one of those characters that you love to hate for me in the story. Like, Oh, there she is. I hope she, hope something bad happens to her this time, but I never did till, till eventually something did, but yeah. So hopefully we see her. I don't mind. I think Leandrin will stay in the story because of her background connections that we haven't revealed yet. So the show hasn't revealed yet. So, but I wonder if she's going to be both Elida and Leandrin. I don't know if she could be because of where Leandrin's story ends in book three. The book three? Is it that soon? It's Suroth, right? Oh, yeah. That's true. 
Yeah, you're right. Well, I guess Sarah still she she's around to like books eight. Yeah, but her and Elida they have different um, missions. Yeah, and so that's what I'm saying is I don't know if they could be because Elida stays pretty. You know, she stays pretty heavy in the book until like book ten, right? Book ten or eleven or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I maybe they could, right? Because I see him combining a lot of these characters, like with Amon Valda and maybe Landrin and Elida. So maybe they do do something weird like that. But maybe yeah, maybe the whole Seroth thing doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, who, who knows? You know, why, why yeah. even have a final battle? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Uh, so she tells uh, Leandrin to back off and she gets this look of fear in her eyes so she gets the sense that she's going to drop it at least for the moment um, Moraine comes in to um... oh wait I skipped the whole part let's see or did I Yeah. Okay. I didn't. So then Moraine and brings Egwin into the hall and they reunite with Nynaeve for the first time. Egwin sees Nynaeve for the first time. And since the Trolloc attack on the two rivers, and then Moraine takes them to see, to meet with Swan Sanche in her rooms in Swan's rooms. And they talk and there's this speech where Swan's talking about, you know, sometimes you want to do something, but the wheel has other plans for you. And that's, you have to, you know, the wheel calls you to meet your destiny and you got to do it despite the fact that you don't like it. And I thought it was a great speech. I thought it was a great uh, reorientation for these two girls. I think Egwene took it just fine. It was like, okay, but Nynaeve is very stubborn. And I think she, she talked back to Swan, which I don't know. I I don't remember if she does that in the books. I know she didn't like her, but uh, that's that's a pretty bold move. And I thought it was. We talked about in previous episodes that Nynaeve is is really good, but then she's like a little over the top sometimes. And I think this is one of those moments where it's like uh, I don't think she'd really do that and just kind of sass off to this to Swan Sanche and be. She was kind of rude about it, not not necessarily stubborn, but just rude and mean about it. So I don't know. How do you feel like this interaction went between them? Yeah. I, I mean, I know there's times she's definitely disrespectful towards both of them, but I don't think it was actually in this setting. Um, I Same thing. It, it, over the top. It's over the top. They live in a matriarchal society. She is very well aware of a women's mm-hmm. circle and high, you know, she under she knows who the I said I are. She knows what the Amriolin seat stands for and the kind of power someone like that yields. There is no way that you're that flippant to, to yeah. this person. That's and, the word I'm looking for. Flippant. Yeah. Yeah. And so just kind of, yeah, oh again, over the top. They, you know, it's like they need to either tone her down or kind of rewrite it a little bit, you know, to make it a little flesh a little bit more. Uh, but it's um, it's not working for me the way that she's getting written right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, Swan tells them the last battle is coming and what we want is meaningless. You know, it, you know the end of times is coming. We got we to gotta step up and do things we may not want to do. And Egwin, she she asks, she responds appropriately, and asks, "Well, what do you need us to do?" And then that's the end of the scene. So we don't get to hear what Swan tells them, but I'm assuming it. We find out later, um, later in this episode, what she told them. But from there, Moraine's going to the hall to get her penance from Swan as the Amarlin seat. She enters. Um, the hall is there. All the sitters. And Swan exiles her penances that she exiles Moraine from the tower until the, the key phrase, until the Amarlin seat calls her home. So, which is what they wanted anyway, what Moraine wants anyway. So it's not really a penance. Again, it's back to the, like the beginning scene where there's this act going on for that they play for everybody. Um, but this time they use the oath rod to um, seal that, 
you know, that penance. And so we get to see that used. I think it's, um, I don't think the oath rod should be used for something like that, but um, I think they used it specifically to show us, hey, this is the oath rod. This is what binds the Aes Sedai and their three oaths. So I thought it was a pretty cool representation of the oath rod. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the only time we ever know about the oath rod is, you know, the, the three, three O's, all the I said, I, you know, re-swear the three O's in Saladar, um, things like that. But the only other time I ever hear somebody using the oath rod outside of it, I know there was something weird with Elida, but that, that didn't really go very well because they wanted her, she wanted to swear on the oath rod to have obedience to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was know, that was very petty, and this is what that reminds me of. It's yeah. like out of, out of place. Yeah, out yeah. of place. And then, and we know who Elida was, and that wasn't Swan Sanche. You know, she right. didn't want that kind of thing. Yeah. And then the only other time I ever read it was there's some excerpt in the Age of Legends where someone was bound by one of the binding rods, which we now know to be an oath rod. Um, so they never really used it like this to swear upon an oath or or whatever it was, you know, to be exiled or who knows. Well, they did, yeah, to be exiled for sure. But they did when they were trying to hunt out the Black Aja later, they would use it to release people from their oaths and then swear them to different oaths so they would be true to them and they couldn't report back to the Black Aja because they were bound, they had, you know, new oaths, I guess. And Mm so, but that was a little more, that's not petty. You know, that's, hey, we got to, root out the black Aja. That's pretty serious business. So yeah, but something like this, well, it's so weird. I I could go down a rabbit hole there. But yeah, I just kind of just just a weird sequence, just knowing what we know about the oath rods. Yeah. I think they use it, they use this penance thing to show, okay, this is the oath rod. This is how it works. This is a cool visual. And this is why the I said I can't lie because of these these oaths that they took on the oath rod, which I don't know, seems mis misguided, misused. But uh, so yeah, Moraine is exiled. She has to leave immediately, so she leaves. Then she rides off to meet with her friends, Lan, Lan and Loyal, and uh, the Two Rivers kids. They all meet up, and I'm assuming this is what Swan told Nynaeve and Egwene that they needed to do next. So they all ride out to this field. The open field with this big monument in the middle, which is the way gate. And they're able to use the way gate to access the ways, travel long distances in a short amount of time. So they're going to head to the eye of the world, which is in the borderlands uh, next to like Faldara is the nearest city. So they're going to go there. Um, my One of my biggest complaints, like just outright criticisms of the show has been the way gates and how they're portrayed here. I don't know. I just think it's ridiculous. That's, that's all I have to say about it. It's just so not a way gate. Oh yeah. Uh, lazy. Yeah. She uses the power to open the gate, right? Mm-hmm. That is not how it is. The way gates were created. Oh my gosh. I could go look. I'm going to, I'm going to do some, some, a little excerpt next week on the way gates. Okay. So listen to, if you guys want to know more about the way gates, the way gates aren't created. uh, I mean, they were created, I guess, by the power and stuff, but there, you don't need the power to use them. Right. They're, they're basically, I I don't know, like. Anybody can use them. Trollocs use them. Yeah. You know, Trollocs use them. Um, (laughs) You you don't need to do the powers and they were grown. Anyways. In the end, you, you need to move some leaf and then they open it up. There's and, a key that you got to yeah, use. And which is weird because they totally mix it up, right? Because we see in the later in the show that somebody is carrying a leaf. Mm-hmm. Someone uses a leaf. And so it's like, what's the whole point of the leaf if you can just use the power? And it's just so weird. It's again, it's just so lazy. Like there's some things that I get you want to take out or you want to curb or you want to make your own thing. But there's some things like the way gates, um, 
Lan, you know, <laughs> things like Matt, you just cannot like, those are like pretty straightforward things. That there's no point in changing or cutting out or whatever, because that can fit in there with, without trying to rewrite it for, for something else. Like I get, you want to do this cool thing where she casts, you know, like moves her arms around and you see some power and stuff. What's, what's different than doing some dramatic scene and having loyalty like, okay, here we go, you know, and then having it open up. I, I don't understand. I don't understand what we went for. It was fantastic laziness is really what I see it was. Cause they made this grandiose scene yeah. for something that was just silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Moraine tells them why they have to go and that they're, it's possible that they might not make it back. They might not succeed, but they all agree to go anyways. Um, well, at least all of them, but one, she tells them that the dark one is sealed within the eye of the world and that the dragon has to fight him, but she doesn't know which one of them is the dragon, but if they don't stop, the dark one then the world will be destroyed by the dark one's forces so you guys got to come so i can figure out which one to use the dragon and then we got to stop the dark one and then they she uses the one power to open the ways and it's dark a lot of lightning in there and then she utters the phrase the will weaves as the will wills which is a pretty moraine type phrase i think is this the first time we hear that from her anyway can't remember but uh it's one of her mantras i think it might be the first time in the movie or in the show right in the show. Not the book yeah yeah so so they all start to enter into the ways but like we talked about before matt doesn't go with him he just kind of lingers in the way i think I, I watched it a couple times this scene and it looks like they edited it they did change it in after the fact because the way they edited him just standing there not going was very, it's like they reused shots from previous in the scene where he's just kind of standing there looking, thinking, not really having any emotions. Like he's not saying on his face, you know, I don't want to go there. He just kind of stands there. And he doesn't say anything. He just stands there the whole time until the rest of the group's actually inside the ways before they notice that he's not there. And they're like, oh, Matt, Matt. And they just kind of stands there and looks at him doesn't say no i don't want to go or you know nothing so i think they just edited it. they had to edit it after the fact this is the impression i got from watching it a couple of times so i don't know that's that's unfortunate i think that is something that's out of their control as far as the actor deciding that he doesn't want to be part of the show anymore um, Do you know what? have you heard why no the only thing that's really come out was he was they were all on twitter all these young actors were on twitter when they first got announced as being cast in the show so they were like posting pictures of them reading the book and were excited to be part of the show and stuff and then they started filming and we didn't see much from them because they were working and then he posted the actor posted something like just some vague comment like oh it's unfortunate that things don't work out the way you thought they would or that people don't have the standards or values that they thought they that you that they did. Is some vague comment, no no specifics or anything. And then people saw that, and then he dropped Twitter. You know, like he he closed his account and everything. And so it was just like, oh, that's weird. And then now, once we found out that he's, you know, they had to recast the actor, it's like, oh, well, that was his last tweet, <laughs> and so something happened, but nobody knows what it is. At least yeah, outside of the show. I've read a lot of rumors. It's because he wouldn't get vaccinated. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Like there's a report, you know, on. Comicbook.com. Yeah. You know what I mean? We like got this covered.com. Yeah. You know, just one of those side ones. But, you know, like. Um, with an insider source. Mm-hmm. Right. saying it all had to do with COVID vaccines. Amazon has a very strict policy on making sure their sets are COVID free zones. Mm. Which, I mean, in a way could make sense, right? Because I mean, you hear people losing their jobs and like, you know, 
all sorts of things about this. So who's to say like something to this nature wouldn't be the same as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, if that's the case, that's unfortunate, but it does leave hopefully some room for some creative rewriting with a new one because the mat I saw was not the mat that I know. Yeah. I think the actor was a good actor. Just the direction, the story. (laughs) Yeah. Wasn't. Matt, the actor worked with, with what he got, and I thought he did fine that way. Mm. But yeah, so yeah, they could reboot him in a sense. Hopefully, they because that happened with Brandon Sanderson in a, in a sense when he took over the writing duties for Robert Jordan in that first book. He he even admits he struggled with writing Matt. He couldn't nail his character down, like his nuances, his statements. He came across as too goofy. And he, Brandon realized that. And then the next two books, it got better. Never got to the, the full blown mat that we loved, but he got better. So maybe, you know, similar situation where they have a chance to fine tune Matt and get him more of what we expect from the books. Cause I think Rand is pretty well from what we read, what we've seen so far, he's pretty spot on, pretty consistent. Anyways, Perrin the same, um, his stories. I don't like his backstory with the whole marriage thing. Uh, he seems a little too like Perrin in the books is always, um, you know, t- quiet. He doesn't want to overreact. Doesn't want to hurt people. So we get that, but it goes too far in the show. It's like too much. He's comes across as dopey and mopey and he's not that, you know, he's, he's a smart guy, but he's not being portrayed as a smart guy in the show. So hopefully they, they fix those, those things in the next season, which I can appreciate. I mean, cause a lot of times, a lot of shows that first season is just feeling out what this show is going to be, you know, what the characters are going to be. So hopefully they're able to get more consistent with the story that's written and sold millions of copies and everybody loves. So why not use that instead of creating something new? <laughs> I, uh, I will keep that statement to myself until we get to episode eight. (laughs) All right. right. Cool. Well, so yeah, that's, that's the episode. Uh, It ends with them entering the ways and Matt's not entering with them. He's separated and who knows what happens next because we don't see him again. Um, The next episode does deal with the ways and I think it's entitled the ways. And then after that, they make it to Faldara and the last episode is them going to the eye of the world and the conclusion of the the season. So we got a lot more to talk about. I think the next episode um, I liked is pretty, it's fairly, I don't know. It's agreeable with the book. I don't know if it's consistent, but, but then the next episode after that uh, got a lot of problems with, so we'll probably focus a lot on, because we'll do another two episode review of seven and eight. And I don't know if it could go two ways. We spent a lot of time criticizing eight, or we just just end it. Don't talk about eight very much at all. So um, we'll see. Episode eight is a lot like Bruno. (laughs) Yeah. We don't talk about episode eight. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's there's not. I was going to say there's a couple of good things, but there's not. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, I think uh, there's, there's like, people walking around that was kind of cool and it was like some rocks that looked pretty cool the city Long looked rock. cool yeah so there you go we've uh, covered episode eight yeah which is is because faldara is one of my favorite cities of the, the first book right well caitlin's probably the top well yeah faldara is awesome right the whole sequence mm-hmm. and we none of it's hardly any of it is actually portrayed correctly in the show as far as as part of the story goes so yeah we'll get into that more so we want to thank you guys for listening to this episode of the fourth taviran podcast we'll like i said we'll review episodes seven and eight of the show and then we'll get back to actually talking about the books more i mean we talk about the books a lot here comparing this show to the books which i think is fair i mean 
the books have been around since 1990 it's the show came out in 2021 so that's 31 years later there's a huge fan base there's expectations that are there from the books it's natural that people are going to compare it to the books and i think as long as we're being you know praising the good of the show which we have done and criticizing the inconsistencies which we have done as well i think that's fair uh, if you disagree let us know send us an email uh, podcast at crediblenerds.com or send us a message on our social media accounts We'd love to engage with you that way and talk about uh, the differences of opinions. And just so you know, we're fine. If you disagree with us completely, cool. Let's talk about it. I mean, we have no animosity toward people who disagree with us. Um, I think it's, uh, as long as it's a healthy conversation, I don't have a problem with it. And we'll listen to you. You listen to us here in this podcast. We'll listen to you and we'll talk about it. I think that's awesome. We all have our different vision of how this show should be. This uh, podcast represents our vision. So let's hear what you have to say about it. Let us know. And maybe if you're if you're interested, we can have you as a guest on the show. We'd love to have uh, the Credible Nerds has always been about, um, you know, just common fans coming together and talking about stuff we love. So if you love the Wheel of Time, hit us up. We'll, we'd like to have you on the show. We can talk about stuff. That's what we do. Um, so... On that note, I'd like to wrap things up. Thanks for listening again, and we'll catch you next time on our next, our ultimate episode of season one of the Wheel of Time show on Amazon Prime. And so we'd like to, so we'll wrap it up, and may you find water and shade. Awesome, guys. We'll see you.